Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino's Security Confidential. Today, we are honored to have Jake Belcher join us. Jake is an old hat at cybersecurity. He is the Senior Director of Security Strategy at Village MD. He has over 20 years of IT and security experience building, operating, and enhancing risk management, security awareness, and governance. Jake has worked with many C-suite executives and boards of directors. He is also a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh SCAT School of Business. Um, and I'm glad to have another Pittsburgh person on this show. Uh, it's rare that we ever get anybody else other than myself from Pittsburgh on this. There's thing, dozens so. of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being yeah. here, Jake. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So, uh, Jake, you know, there's a, we had, who did we, we had the CEO of oh boy did i just have a senior moment mm -hmm. emily's gonna have to edit this one out but I'll, I'll i'll i know i'm gonna remember it we had the c oh we had the ceo of gift health on the show and that was a very interesting conversation and and it was uh interesting to hear him speak about the healthcare landscape and how uh on the online presence is really changing the business That's and true. right and mm -hmm. and really how um, and, and then cybersecurity becomes a, not a nice to have, but it's an absolute essential right. from a whole. And he would rattled off a plethora of things that become <laughs> issues if they get, uh, if they get hit, but I know you're, you're from village MD. So yeah. what, what does village MD do? Like what's, what's the business there? Yeah. Great question. Uh, yeah, so village MD takes, uh, what we're really doing is, is managing physician practices. Uh, okay. So we're building up a network of physician practices across uh, the U.S. And uh, we help manage those as we bring them on board. And we've just uh, recently had a very large investment from Walgreens. So we are helping them with their wow. mission of rolling out um, uh, physician practices with primary care, more more primary care doctors in, in the actual office rather than, you know, in some of the other models that you see out in the, in the wild. It's, uh, you know um nurse practitioners and and other folks so we're actually trying to bring in primary care doctors and um we're like i said we're, we're we have this large investment from walgreens and we're helping reach out to underserved um communities through that as well so trying to get doctors in areas that maybe are a little underserved from a healthcare perspective um and uh, that, that's kind of what we do. So we're, we're building that out. We're still, you know, we're late stage startup, I would say. Um, but, um, you know, with, with the investment from Walgreens, you know, really maturing the organization and uh, moving in that direction. One question that came to mind as you were describing the relationship uh, that is going in place with Walgreens. Isn't that conflict with the Minute Clinic? I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, no, I think they're just doing a whole rebranding, uh, you know, so uh, I don't know if it'll be, um, you know, that's a great question. It's not something that's really ever popped up. It was more, um, hey, this is this is what we want to do. And, uh, you know, Walgreens wanted to move in this um, model, like I said, of more physician-focused um, care, 
versus then you know going into like a minute clinic or an, another type of, of clinic where it's it's more nurse practitioners not that they can't provide you know service but this was the model that they were looking for and specifically with their social mission really trying to get out into communities that have been under you know historically underserved so with Walgreens footprint you know we have that we have that inroad into doing that so it, it aligned really well for the executives they're real happy about it and um, Walgreens made a, a very large investment in us, and um, we're trying. To... That's fantastic! Yeah, no, you guys are you you guys are uh, going to do great because the service is uh, very much needed. Yeah, yep. And I'm sure there's a lot of eyes on you, uh, and I'm sure not all of them are good ones. I mean, there's a world of bad actors out there. there. I, I don't know if you saw today. Uh, Data breach had a article. Uh, I think it was a healthcare system in Texas got breached for 1.4 million records mm-hmm. they lost. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. So which, which really begs the question, you know, like what, how, how has cybersecurity changed the healthcare business or how is healthcare impacted by cybersecurity? Right. I, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's been, you know, just like a lot of industries. Right. So, you know, um, Take retail, for example, you know, before online retailing and and things like that, it was more, um, you know, you go into a store, they might have a credit card reader Um, way back in the day. It might have been one of those, you know, you swipe the thing across with the carbon paper and you get an imprint and, you know, and then they move to point of sale. And and I think um, in that industry as well, when online became a a viable channel, you know, um, you started seeing a, a big uptick in, okay, well now we have something to protect um, and we need to start dedicating some resources to it. I think healthcare is kind of going through a similar um, revolution um, that we saw in other sectors a while back. I think it might be just lagging a little bit because, you know, honestly, a lot of it is, uh, you know, in healthcare was all around as it should be uh, patient focused, um, care, you know, making sure that the patients are getting the care that they need. Um, you know, the, the healthcare professionals are very focused on that, as as we would all hope. Um, and, you know, the technology kind of creeps up on them and, um, you know, they, they want to start utilizing it. They realize that their patients are utilizing more technology and, and realizing that's an avenue for them to, um, you know, reach out and provide better care. But with that come risks, um, you know, I, you know, as a security professional, I, I, I think of myself more as a risk advisor than anything else, um, you know, okay. and uh, this is another facet of risk that, that the industry needs to um, take on and, and um, um, you know, invest in. So uh, I, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's very similar to other industries. I think the unique thing is um, our data is super um, uh protected. You know, it's super valuable information. It's very confidential information. It's highly regulated. Um, So I would say the difference there is the value of the, not the credit, you know, using the retail analogy again, not that credit card information isn't valuable, obviously it is, but, you know, you take that, you can compare it to this highly regulated information that we are are dealing with. Um, You know, the stakes are even higher. Uh, So do you know, just a, a side question on that, like credit card, if you, if your credit card data is stolen, it's worth about a dollar 50 cents on the, on the black market. You look at healthcare data on an individual, it's worth about $20. Mm-hmm. 
why is there such that's a huge difference yeah, sure. in value i think i think it's um you know i i think i was an economics major in college i have a little bit of a non-traditional background um that's but you, you know you think of... oh, everyone in cybersecurity does by the way so <laughs> don't feel bad about right it. I... but but it, it's actually it's actually helped me quite a bit in my in my career you know in economics you think a lot about um reward systems and game theory and things like that um and you you think about motivations and why are certain certain things valued more i think it, it just has more the reason it has more values you can do more with it so with the credit card information, there's a lot of controls around it that can, you know, it's only it's only good for a short period of time. Once someone realizes that their credit card information has been breached, um, it's very easy to shut that down. The the the, the information is no longer valuable. So there's there's a there's a shorter sh shelf life. I think with the um, with PHI or protected health information that we deal with, um, there's a larger shelf life, and you can do more with it, right? So you have, um, you, you know. With with credit card information, you have one thing you can really do, and you can you can go charge something, and you, you know maybe run up some charges on something. But in a lot of cases, there's legislation in place to make sure that the you know the consumer's not impacted as much. Um, you know that you can put a cap to it; it, it it's not going to affect yeah. you, um, and they write it off. Um, I think with PHI, that's persistent, right? So that is something that's going to be out there. You could utilize it to do all sorts of things. You could um, sell it for marketing information or somebody wants to do that. You could utilize it for spear phishing campaigns, you know, especially if you had access to someone's, uh, you know, a high net worth individual or, oh, you know, yeah. something like that. You could use that information to do some, you know, very sophisticated spear phishing and get access to bank accounts and all sorts of different things, you know, depending on how you crafted that message. So I, I think that's probably why it's reflected differently in the, in, you know, on, the dark web, if you want to, use that yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that that would be my guess. You know, that would that would be. No, I think you're spot yeah. on. I I think Jake, you are absolutely spot on. Uh, there's a lot more you can do with it, and I love the word persistent. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that we should all underline, <laughs> asterisks, and star because that that is the crux of the problem: is the data is persistent once you have it, and you know. Which, you know, a simple thing like you go to the doctor's office or any go for any medical service, almost everybody at check-in wants your social security number. Right. We typically advise people don't give sure. it. I, you know, it's like make them make up a number and yeah. stick it in right. there. But from a process perspective, why has that not really some things like that? Because that would make the data less persistent. Sure. Right. Once I because I forgot the date of birth, social security number, address, and then I got real personal data that I know what makes Minoj Minoj. Yep. Well, now I can duplicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do all kinds of stuff. We we know of a case where uh, the person got the person's identity got used to in, in a fraud scheme for uh opioid prescriptions oh, yeah so and the only reason this individual even came to know about it is that when he went to his physician's office they couldn't write a prescription for certain things and they're like you you're flagged as a addict yeah 
Yeah, you maxed out your. He's like, wait a minute, I, I don't even take Tylenol. Right, so, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then you know, once you pull that thread on that proverbial sweater, everything started unraveling, and he's like, oh my god. And, and I think you, you hit on something right there too, right? It took him to go to his doctor to be in a situation where he needed to request something before he was even aware of it. The difference between That's that right. and a credit card number is you get a statement every week or every month. You know, That's you're true. looking at it and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't order 12 MacBooks this you know month. What's going on here? Or you'll get an alert. You know, there's something on you. You can set up your card to like alert you every time you spend anything. I, you know, for example, I, I have a credit card that my wife and I share and um, we kind of run a lot of things through it. And I just have an, every time there's a charge comes through, it just pops up on my phone. I take a look at it. I'm like, oh, okay, this seems reasonable. Um, you know, and, and I can usually identify 99% of the, the, the charges coming through. There's not, a, I don't, I don't think there's a corollary for PHI, right? You don't have, you know, you don't have something on your phone where it's like constantly monitoring your, your records and your You're records right. are everywhere. Like I can say, Hey, um, my cards with chase. I, I know it's just with Chase, you know, for the most part, that that particular number and in in that that account is right there with your PHI. It's you go to various doctors, you might go to a specialist, you might go to right. primary care, you might. It, it's it's all over the place. So I think it's 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 hard to kind of get your hands around it um, compared to, you know, uh, more structured data like credit card numbers and, and things like that. So I, I think that might play you know, a big piece in it too, is just the monitoring capabilities, you know, as, as a consumer, you have a lot of monitoring capabilities around your credit card information, but you maybe don't have as many resources for your PHI. You know, there's nothing that's like over top, like monitoring all that for you. You know what? That's actually, that's something I had not considered. And, uh, that's worth the price of admission of this podcast, <laughs> I guess. Uh, there's, there, there's some, there is uh, absolutely something there because if we look at all the compliances that are in place, whether it be high trust, it be HIPAA, uh, uh, it, it even SOC two applies to a degree yeah. in, in, in uh, the medical establishments. They're all for the providers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything there's for them. If you look at all the legislation, the penalties, everything is all on the providers. But there is really nothing on the patient side from a regulatory perspective that would empower yeah. for sure. the individual to be able to do things like call up Experian and say, hey, what do you got? on?" Right, right, right. I, you know, I think that's a cultural issue. Um, in the U.S. specifically, um, with our our legislation. I mean, look at look at EU is a great example, right? GDPR. Okay. Um, you know, a big focus on putting the power into the consumer. They can re- redact any of that um, PII, the, the personally identifiable information. Sorry, I try not to use acronyms as much as possible, but they can they can redact all that. There's a lot of legis- It's got teeth. Um, there's 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 big fines. There's big penalties for it. You see some of that in some states within the U.S., but at a federal level, there's really nothing that's overarching that 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 would I'd say come close to GDPR. So, I, I wonder if it's if it's not so much a, a cultural issue in the U.S. where you know we just have not put a premium on privacy as much as the other parts of the world have. Um, you know, and that may be something that is you know needed uh, sooner than later. 
Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. I, I was just with, uh, I forget which uh, the consumer. I was at a site ordering something for my wife. Mm-hmm. And it, there was one option that says, do not sell my data. And I checked it. And the next question yeah. it asked, what, what state are you in? Yeah. Oh, oh, you're in Pennsylvania. Y'all don't have anything. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, these are our privacy guidelines. And then for the heck of it, I actually went back and changed it to California. Yeah, I bet you got a lot different answer. <laughs> I got a lot of totally different screens for that. It's like, all right, what don't you want us to do? Uh-huh. To sound like, wait a minute. Why can't, if you've already gone through the trouble of setting this up. <laughs> yeah. At a technical level. There's really no difference between California and Pennsylvania. You could actually select the same option. Oh, for sure. But they don't. For sure. Oh, they could implement it across the board. But the kicker is, again, all right, now, now, we're, now we're moving into a political discourse. But, you know, the kicker is. Well, some of it does that. Because one of, <laughs> one of the questions was, what, what are some policy positions that we could take? Yeah. And this is, this is something that should have some bipartisan, you would think. Nothing today is bipartisan, very little. Yeah. But you would think you would have some bipartisan support on protecting the American consumer. You would think, um, you know, and, and it was funny as I was looking through, you know, getting prepared for the for the call and, and looking through some of the topics that we were going to discuss. Just a, a recurring thoughts kept coming up and maybe it is my background again um, speaking, but money money it seems to be like the number one motivator here, you know, in a lot of cases, why don't we have regulation around that? Well, um, you know, we are in a, a political climate where you can buy votes um, pretty easily. Um, we're making it easier and easier every day. And there are vested parties that want the ability to utilize that information once they collect it and sell it again. So as another revenue stream. So if you don't have a lot of pro- protections around it, like in, in California, right, if you're lucky enough to or depending on how you feel about that. <laughs> depending on, <your> health. <laughs> you know, if you are in California, let's, let's just say from a protect, uh, you know, a, a information protection perspective, if you're in that state, you have a lot of protections that are granted, you know, for you uh, by the state um, in the rest of the country, not as much, right. Massachusetts, maybe a little bit, um, New York, New York a little bit, a little bit, but nothing really consistent at the federal level. Why is that? Um, you know, I think the, there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but I think there's a lot of folks that make money off of collecting that information and reselling that information to other folks, um, which is completely legal uh, to do. So um, given the way that the laws are currently written. So I, I think that, you know, uh, honestly, for a lot of the things that we, you know, we had listed here to talk about today, you know, a lot of it, the motivating factors, what is the number one motivating factor appears to be money. Um, so how do you get them on all sides, on all sides? Yeah. Coming and going. So, um, yeah. I mean, you look at bad actors, heck you can get ransomware as a service now. That's right. And some of them have even implemented 800 numbers. Sure. Right. Yeah. So if we got you a second time, we'll give you a 10% discount <laughs> and you can talk to our customer service. Right. That's right. I mean, mm. <laughs> so it's, it is absolutely money. I mean, all joking aside, and, and that is, you know, some of these policies, like I could see what you're saying makes, if, if there was a way to implement uh, healthcare 
record monitoring. And maybe for an entrepreneur out there that's listening, this might be a great business idea because it doesn't exist today. Mm -hmm. But if there was a way to actually execute that, that, you know, could, that would, I, I, I know some healthcare providers might be dicey on it, but that would actually help them because from a risk perspective, I would imagine that lowers their risk because now you may not be aware of data leakage, but maybe a consumer contacted you. Yeah. Maybe the case was genuine or it could be a fluke, but in either case, you can limit your exposure. Mm -hmm. Unlike the case in Texas where they walked away with 1.4 million records, I'm sure that didn't happen overnight. I, yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> it, it's been it's been an ongoing. This wasn't somebody that got in there in five minutes and said, you know, I'm just going to yeah do a SQL query on 1.5 million. Heck, if nothing else, the CPU cycles would have lit up somebody's alarm right. system. Right, you would saying, think. What, well, you'd hope. You 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 would think what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Okay. So it's been it's been persistent over time. And some of those things are very, very uh, difficult to find. Unless you got a SOC team that's really on the top of their game. That's right. That's right. And even then, it's like, you know, we we, we say this. I'm sure you've heard this a million times, too. But we say this in, the, in our department all the time. It's like we have to be right all the time. The bad actors only have to be right, you know, once. Only once. <laughs> you know, it was like we never. Only right. once. Um, so it's, it, you know, in order to have a sock like that, like now you're talking about investment and now we're talking about risk, right? So it's, um, you know, how much risk are you willing to take on? You could, you could, you know, really, if you wanted to invest a ton of money into, you know, your protections and having a 24 by seven sock that was staffed by, you know, an army of, of analysts and, um, all the tooling out that, that you can, they can get, um, you know, but then you have to say, okay, it, are we are we doing are, are we buying a five a fifty thousand dollars safe to say, to protect a five thousand dollars watch? You know, like you know, eventually there's a there's a break point where you have to say, okay, well, you know, we're getting diminishing returns, and it, it, you know, like there's there's a risk discussion that has to be you know um, had to say, you know, there's a point where um, you know you're not you, you're you're you may be spending too much, and you know, to get to that, you know super, super low probability of being breached. So it's a difficult question. I think it's one that, you know, boards, uh, companies struggle with, you know, every day, um, you know, well, that discussion. I think one thing that may change it, maybe you have some insight on this with risk is uh, what's happening in the landscape of cybersecurity insurance. Yeah. So, so we look at, um, premiums have been going up at a very high rate for cybersecurity insurance. And they're capping things off and there's a lot more exclusions going into what is going to get covered. Yes. Right. So that may have, because now that ability, you know, you can, you can basically accept risk, you can outsource it, right. Or you can mitigate it. There's, there's only three things you're going to do with this thing. Sure. Well, one of those avenues might be severely limited, which has been a tendency to outsource a, a, a lot of that. Oh, I think, yeah, it, 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 I, I think a lot of times it's, it appears to be the easiest answer, right? You know, it's just the, the, the quick answer. It's like, oh, we're just going to go get cyber insurance and, we're, you know, we're going to cover our risks from that perspective. And, um, you know, I think 
like you said, I've noticed, you know, because I because I, I get pulled into these conversations on a yearly basis. Hey, it's time to renew our cyber insurance. Um, I need you to help answer some of these questions. We're going out to the market. We're, you know, and, you know, the lawyers will, you know, come knocking on my door and try to give them the best answers I can about our program and, you know, where we where we are. Um, I, and I have noticed, you know, premiums going through the roof, exclusions. It, you know, I joke oftentimes, I'm like, what are the chances of this actually paying out? Because it seems like there's so many possible ways that the insurer can say, well, you didn't do X you know, this and this and this and this. So we're not going to pay it out. Um, you know, I, I think it, it is becoming less of a viable option. I think it's, it's an easy answer, but it's probably not the right answer all the time, you know, it, 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 anymore. Yeah. I, you know, there's entire sectors I can, and I'll speak to like oil and gas. Mm -hmm. If you are deemed a critical infrastructure company, a lot of them can't even get cyber insurance sure. in 2022. Yeah. Doesn't matter what they're willing to pay. Uh, you know, like uh, the the shale oil drillers here in Pennsylvania, back when they were allowed to drill, but that's another political topic. <laughs> okay, let's, <laughs> I'll avoid that one because I know we'll, we, we get occasional hate mail, but that one would definitely get hate mail on, on, on that. But, yeah, that's a um, they're required by the state to carry $5 million in coverage mm -hmm. from Every major underwriter out there is saying, we'll cover you for a million. After that, we're not, we're just not going to cover you. Right. And for that million dollars, you're going to pay a hundred and sixty grand in your premium annually. Right. And, and they're like, wait a minute, last year we only paid $15,000 for a million dollars and 5 million covered. So, well, last year we didn't have everybody and their mother knocking on your door. To get right, right. <laughs> we didn't have a, a very large state actor that's very angry with us right now. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> that, you know, we've got the money spigot off to their country and they're willing to do the same to us, you know, you know through any means necessary. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the reality of, of, of the industry, right? Is that you could be doing everything right internally and even have the best controls if your external threats grow to such an extent where the insurers, you know, they, their actuaries are looking at it and like, hey, this, the numbers just don't work out. Um, you end up where we are now, you know, and, and uh... you're, you're exactly right. And, and it comes to it seems like in healthcare, especially third party risk, is a is a giant oh, piece of the puzzle yeah yeah huge it is in every sector honestly like it was um I, i've worked in a lot of different i've worked in retail i, I mentioned that previously and oh yeah i, I worked at american Eagle. i should have yeah. mentioned that <laughs> yeah 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 so in in town here uh in pittsburgh um you know and um it, yeah it's it, it, it's affecting everyone you know i i, I think uh, supply chain issues that we saw, you know, from uh, the pandemic, um, you know, upsetting supply chains. But even before that, um, it was really critical during that time period, right, of making sure that you have good partners in your supply chain that can get the product to market. And, um, you know, you have to do your due diligence on these vendors to make sure that they're not going to get taken down. And if they are taken down, how, you know, what do they have controls and do they have BCDR plans in place, you know, to uh, make sure that they're back up and running and, and, and can uh, facilitate what you need, you know, um, 
I think it hits all sectors. I think in, in healthcare is even more so like we were talking about, because, you know, the highly regulated information that, that we have, um, you know, we have to be very careful about how that's handled. And, um, you know, at Village, we have a, a pretty robust program where not only are we looking at the vendor itself, but if they're, you know, supplying software, you know, we're looking at things like SBOMs and, and making sure that, you know, things that we would have never done even four years ago, five years ago, are now just this just standard operating procedure, you know, of of making sure that you're you're doing that due diligence. And then you run into the issue of fourth parties, right? So it's you have your third parties and their third parties. Like how do you handle that? And how do you, you know, where do you where do you draw the line? Um, you know, you'd have to have a huge staff to to kind of drill drill down into all the vendors. So then again, you come oh, back to risk. You risk rank these vendors and say, okay, which ones are our most critical? Which ones are on the critical path? You know, if this vendor went down, what kind of impact would it have? Put those in a different category. You're you're spending more time looking at you know their information and um, you know really scrutinizing their SOC reports and um, you know following up on that. So you, again, you're just taking because you can't staff, you know, you can't have a hundred people in your vendor risk management staff in most companies. Um, you, you have to make some space decisions and kind of stratify it and then dive into the ones you really need to get more information on. They're more critical to the business. And then, you know, make a risk decision. You just say, you know, as a company, this is below our risk threshold. It's okay. We'll, we'll do this amount of work on it. Um, it, it, it can be nerve wracking though. It is a, uh, it is a big issue because most companies aren't developing everything in house. You know, we're, we're, you're buying third party software right. and you're, you're cobbling it together to create your, your, your network. And um, there's a lot of, there could be weak points all over the place. So you, you have to always be vigilant and um, you know, constantly monitoring these folks and making sure that they're doing the things that, that they say they're going to do in their contracts and holding them accountable. It, it is a, it's a, it's a challenge. So I'm going to pick on uh, one particular actor in the healthcare industry that that I have personal experience with, and that's the doctor. Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'll give you a little quick background here. Way back in the day, uh, there was a company called Computer Associates, and they used to have an identity and access management solution, and and I was engaged with that in the market. Sure. We had a lot of healthcare customers. Mm -hmm. The one thing that we could never, ever get it to follow any kind of a discipline were the physicians. Oh yeah, it was <laughs> nothing's changed. It was an. It was. A, it, it. I mean, I just don't know what to say other than that. You yeah. just couldn't. I mean, yeah. you can't manage it. And the 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 number of when we look at even today. And, it, and it's a serious issue in that when we look at the principles of cybersecurity, where you're giving least privileged access, mm -hmm. that the, you should do that. You have what may be a physician by day, but in the evening, that person is moonlighting, even in one of your other facilities as a contract doctor. And that happens all the time. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And they should, their roles change, their privileges should change as a result. But what we often see, the reality of it is that there's a lot of healthcare data that goes out on their on these phones, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it they're using it. Uh, can't tell you. I've seen it where radiology labs will send MRIs right to the doctors because they also don't have time, and that's I understand that, yeah. right? They're like, yeah. 
send me this thing. What's your uh, mobile number? Clink. <laughs> yeah. Right. How do you have any guidance for other people that may be listening on how to deal with this? <laughs> uh, all right. Start with empathy. So you got to start understanding where's the doctor coming from. All right. So, so the way I kind of, my advice would be first put yourself in the physician's shoes to try to understand their mindset. The physician, and, and I love our physicians, but they can be challenging to, um, you know, persuade. You're just so polite. <laughs> That's how I've seen in the industry for 20 years. <laughs> you gotta be polite. Um, but they, there can be some challenges there because, you know, at the end of the day, they are really focused on patient care. You know, yes, they you, are, and they should be, and they should be. That's exactly what you want out of your physician. You don't want them worrying about, you know, the hundred percent focused on security. A little bit of focus, sure, but you know, you, that that shouldn't be their number one concern. Their number one concern is, I have got this patient. He has, he is exhibiting, or she is exhibiting these symptoms. I need to get them to health. I need to make them whole. How do I do that? How can I do that in the most efficient way possible, and also provide a good experience for my patient as well? Because the, you know. I'll, I'd say almost to the, to the person, all of our physicians care about that. Um, so, so, so first is to try to understand their mindset. Where are they at? You know, they are trying to provide care as, as seamlessly as possible and trying to get that patient as well as quickly as possible. And that is their number one concern. Our concern is different in um, security. Not that we don't care about the patients. We absolutely do. Um, you know, I hope so. We, we've all I mean, been patients, so you know, you know, you have a, you can look at it from that perspective. But um, I think we need to make solutions for these physicians that are seamless, and they don't have to think about it. So, how can we do things? Yeah, you know that it because if you make the and I say this a lot, um, and, and anybody on my teams that are probably listening is probably sick of hearing it, but. You know, if you make the control super difficult, like it's a very good control, you put in a control that is just, um, you know, it, it's it's covering all the bases. It's it's dropping your risk near to near zero. Great control, but it's difficult to actually implement and difficult to use. People are going to find ways around it. That I mean, your your end users are going to look for ways to get around this thing because it's just so difficult to do it. So you have to make controls that are effective, but also very easy for um, the folks that need to interact with them. Um, e you know, it, it's easy for them to comply with those controls. So how do you do that? I think with, you know, physicians specifically, you know, with mobile devices and things, it's, um, it, it, I think it starts with education, just bringing up their words. These are all very, very smart people. Um, you know, that's one thing you can bank on. So you can, you, you know, like play to that. Um, they, they are often, um, very, they're students for life, you know, they are, they are willing to learn. I think if you can present, you know, some, some materials just to get their awareness up, that's step one. Step two is implementing as many automated controls. If they need to use a mobile device, can you can, you know, convince them to use like, Hey, we are going to provide you with a device possibly that's been hardened. It's got all the software that you need to interact with your clients. We, you know, work with your infrastructure teams to build, build ways for them to share information with their patients, which are, which are seamless that, that work in the real world, um, in, in applications that are easy for the physician to use. That's a huge tall order, right? It, I don't think anybody's done it 
super, super well, but I think that's the direction that we need to move into um, because you need to, if you're relying on the fact that everybody's got to be super vigilant and security conscious all the time for your security program to work, it's going to fail. Um, you, you need to um, make it super easy for them to comply. Um, you need to make it super easy for them to, you, you almost want to make it easier for them to use the control than it is to go outside of the control. So if they had to like jump between an email wow. and something else, like make it easier. This is a better experience for you. It's a better experience for the patient. Prove it out. You know, I think sometimes it's going to be road shows. You're going to have to convince some of these doctors of, of, of your, of your plans and why this is better. But I think if you can connect with them on the things that they are concerned about, which is, Hey, this is going to help you deliver care better. This is going to be a better experience for your patient. Um, it's easy. Uh, but you know, getting there, I think is a challenge and it's, it's, it takes investment in, in hardware, software solutions. Um, it's going to take some probably an investment on your internal teams to make all those things work and work consistently. Um, you know, uh, doctors again, don't want to have any impediments to that patient care. So if you can show that, Hey, I'm, we're, we're allowing you to exchange this information in a way that is compliant with HIPAA, it's protecting the patient's information, and it's also providing a better um, experience for both you and the patient. I think that's that's the direction you need to go in. How do you get there? Um, it's like eating an elephant one bite at a time. You know, you yeah. just start you start working on it, and um, you know, making sure you have a long term vision, but you know, stage gating it along the way so you can show some value as as you as you go down that path. But you know what? You um, uh, all the healthcare professionals we've had on that is probably the most practical five minutes i've heard in a long time well thanks <laughs> that 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 is that's actionable and it makes perfect that that makes sense and we often talk about that in cybersecurity. there's a lot of theoreticals but it, unless you can make something actionable it really doesn't doesn't matter and what you're talking about makes all the sense in the world. Unfortunately, a lot of the automations right now are not being done to a degree where it becomes completely transparent to yeah. someone like a physician. Right. That's but that's incumbent upon us as cybersecurity professionals to start thinking of those use cases mm -hmm. and with a mindset of empathy as to what's going on and the realization that shadow IT is absolutely going to happen yep. and control or lack thereof will take place if we don't. Yeah. Yeah. You, you almost, you, at this day and age, you're hundred percent right. You know, shadow IT is going to happen. You have to almost embrace it and say, you know, let's and, and try and, and instead of trying to put out all these fires that keep popping up, you know, it's, it's, how do we how do we build solutions with knowing that that is going to occur, and um, in in addressing that like um, pragmatically? Well, um, Jake, I apologize about some of the technical difficulties. I know we're up here on the one minute mark. We did want to give you the last minute here. If you have any um, talks that are coming up or conferences you're attending or anything you want to plug at all, uh, even if it's a charity, let us know. Yeah. Would, please share it with the with the audience yeah nothing really to plug um you know i just uh 
check out Village MD if you're in a Walgreens, uh, you know, and you see a Village MD uh, logo on that. This, the, you know, know that it, there's a physician office either in that Walgreens or there's one short coming shortly. So, um, you know, give it a shot and uh, that's about it. Okay. Well, Jake, we hope you have a great rest of your day and thank you so much. It was delightful to talk to you. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much. Take care.